You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everyone. What's up? We're back for another session of In the Open. So excited to be here with you all again. I have Teresa here with me. Hi, everyone. So we're continuing on our trajectory of exploring trauma. And today we're going to be talking about how trauma affects our beliefs. I was struggling with this at the beginning of our conversation with Teresa, but then she's like, duh, we talk about it all the time. So yeah, we're going to get right into it. <laughs> okay. So this is, I do think it's interesting because to set the stage for people in, in, me- in mental health or therapy, there's, um, you are bombarded with all kinds of thoughts. And I have a lot of negative thoughts and negative thinking. But what happens is you just have these experiences and the thoughts and they happen over and over. And what happens is they start to settle what we call or psychologists call core beliefs. This is the, it shapes the way you see the world, the way you see other people and the way you see yourself. Yeah. And these ideas or thoughts and beliefs kind of really set root and they and they interact and change the way that you interact with other people. Totally. It, it, it impacts your worldview. And yeah. I think for me, I was struggling because I was like, no, that no trauma hasn't affected my beliefs at all. But uh, <laughs> why I, did you think that? I don't know. I don't know. That's why I was just like, wait. So when you started talking about some of the ways that it could, I was like, check, check, check. So, <laughs> okay. But that's really interesting to me that you didn't think that they did because I Imagine that happens for a lot of people too. You're like, I don't know, these things happen in my life. And I'm just like, were you like, oh, I'm surviving. It's not a big deal. Yeah, it's like, like it's, it wasn't, it's not connected to. So it's not on the shelf that says trauma. And it's like all these experiences like trauma, trauma, trauma. And then be like, oh, you know, that one box that's on that trauma thing, it's tied to how you're communicating with Teresa today. So you didn't make that connection. I didn't. I didn't make that connection because I think. I'm more inclined right now to be in a state of just day-to-day thinking and not broad thinking. Yeah. Because I think I have to get into the right mindset to be able to explore the deeper and broader meaning of my experiences. Totally true. And in this way, I think therapy is a real privilege because it is an hour where you say, I'm going to commit to myself to dive really deeply to understand the way that my life experiences have shaped my understanding and my belief and my worldview. And we often don't, we get caught up in the everydayness of it, which is why thinking about thoughts are easy, but, but not the beliefs. Totally. I I think that's true. Yeah. That's, it's like the fruit you can see and, and feel and be like, oh, well, that's fine. It's not a really big deal. But then there's a whole root that's attached to that. But this is where I think beliefs get really tricky because when they get to the level where that affects your worldview, it's more likely to affect your actions, which we're going to talk about next week, right? Mm-hmm. Like the beliefs you have, I think, are more likely going to shape whether or not I'm going to take a risk. So everybody knows I've experienced some pretty significant childhood abuse. But outside of that, like having childhood abuse also puts you at risk for having bad relationships, bad dating experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're inclined to go down that route. Yes. 
And I think the way that looks is I'll just, I used to, I mean, the way some of the early beliefs look like was just like, that's normal in a relationship and not realizing what healthy or unhealthy relationships look like. In the simplest way, that kind of judgment statement about what a healthy or unhealthy relationship is supposed to look like and whether or not I believed that I was in a healthy relationship is a small level. But then as I started to grow aware of some of the challenges I had, then my brain went the whole other direction and was like, all relationships are unsafe and I am a bad judger. (laughs) of healthy and therefore could never be in a healthy relationship and therefore should never try to date. Right. So you and question like, every single decision. And you're like, that you're whoa, yeah. you went from one spectrum to the other spectrum as a way to protect yourself. But that's or red flags. Like if I had a red flag, I would be like any sniff of the red flag. I would be like X. <laughs> I think um, for me, in my experience, I have been I have a, you know, I have a really good family unit. They're very supportive, but there are times when my decision making will be questioned, right? Be like, well, are you sure about that? So that in itself can create in my mind, right? A hesitancy like, oh, wait, am I really sure about that? Now I've gone to a point where I'm like, oh no, I'm sure. But there was a time when I could have easily been kind of moved in the direction of maybe this isn't the best decision uh, based on this. There is another example that actually came up today where somebody said to me, well, I don't think my opinion matters. And I was like, where did you get that? Like, why would you say that? Your opinion totally matters. That's why I'm asking you a question. But It speaks to some underlying belief about what it is that a value that they they think their word has, their their presence has in the environment. So I do think these issues definitely connect to very deeply rooted things. But that's the thing, babe. You don't really see that. No. It's so hard to see it. It's so subtle. It's so subtle. Gosh, what you said triggered a memory that I had where... A lot of people struggle with thoughts of worth, worthiness, worthwhile, am I broken? People ask these questions like, did my trauma break me? Am I worthwhile? But yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The way these kind of come up is, you know, so you, you have a space at a party where you have the opportunity to speak out. Dude, I, I struggled with this regularly. <laughs> like, do I say something? And then my brain will say, well, nah, don't say anything because your thoughts don't matter. Nobody really cares about what your thoughts are anyways. Or like, oh, your thoughts aren't interesting. Like totally. nobody You're cares about your thoughts. Yeah. It's yeah. so little ways that we beat each other ourselves up. Or somebody might exclude me from something not intentionally. They were – it didn't work out. And it's in those moments where we're rejected – yeah. Oh man. Then you're I just find... like, wait, was it based on this one thing that I said last week? And oh, there's see, that's dread. interesting. You went to an example, but I, I will go through, I will be like, it's because no one loves me. I'm not lovable. Like that was my belief that I that's interesting that you went to, oh, d- is it because of something I said? Which I think would have been a healthier thing for me to say to myself. Like, oh, did I do something to piss someone off? That might have been a more compassionate thing, even though it's still fairly irrational and not fair because 
their reason for excluding you might have been about that, but it could also have been just about they they couldn't. They thought about it, but they couldn't figure out how to make it work. And that's not about you. That's about them, you know? But see, like my, some of these- my belief was like, oh, they don't they didn't include me because I'm not I'm not included. I'm not loved. Yeah. I think some of those thoughts tie to how I receive love and, and my ability to do that resonate more around the time when I I was going through a divorce, right? And, and there's so much negative self-talk in that time. It's like, oh my God, I failed at this yes. because I suck at being a, a wife. I suck at being a good partner. And then after much therapy, <laughs> yeah. after, after much therapy, I was able to really understand, no, it's not, it's not tied to these things. We yeah. have come to believe that. And for different reasons. Yeah. I think my my ex-husband wasn't necessarily the best partner for me because he wasn't able to communicate and stuff in the way that I needed and we needed it as a, as a couple. But those are the questions that I really struggled with. And when then I, then I started going out in the world again and like dating, I was like, will people really like the person that I am? Or do I have to be this completely new America to be able to be liked? So that, that was a real struggle that I had. And then in the end, I was just like, forget it. Like, if you don't like who it is and I don't have to change anything, that there's no point in you and I interacting, you know? Yeah. But that was really sad and traumatizing. <laughs> oh, poor baby. <laughs> and it affected my beliefs. Yeah. I agree. You know, this the closer we are to these traumatic experiences or when we have periods of a lot of turmoil, it's yeah. harder to fight the thoughts. So the the kinds of beliefs that you and I have been talking about are the most common. It's it's the way that trauma makes you feel insecure. Mm-hmm. But if you say to a person, like, you felt insecure, people hate that Yeah, word. the answer is like, no, of course not. They're like, no, I'm not insecure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that that comes from somewhere, like something it's in society. because it's tied to a personal failing. Like, you should – I'm going to say a personal failing, and it's also a cultural thing, I think, as well, where the American kind of mindset is you should hold it all together. You can, yeah, strong and muscle through everything, right? And it's like, yeah, I can do that, but still be vulnerable. And being able to show that vulnerability, I think that's the hardest piece. So if somebody says something like, you're insecure, you're a little shy, it's like, no. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I got, you got to defend it. And that makes it really hard, I think, to to actually heal from the work if your immediate reaction to somebody pointing out that you're falling into this trap is defensiveness. Yeah. (laughs) One tells me if you're defensive, something is there. Something is sticky. You wouldn't get defensive for no reason at all. You would probably, if if you weren't actually insecure, you might be curious or be like, oh, that's interesting. Why do you say that? And like, or just dismissive. I also (laughs) think in different ways in conversations that I've had, One of the things that I have come to learn now is like if we have a conversation like that where I'm like, you know, when you say something like this, it invalidates your experience. It doesn't really show the power of who you are. They may not be able to fully capture that that feeling right there. But when they're alone and they're able to sit and think. Yeah. And then I've had this conversation like, damn, I never really thought about it that way. I'm like, sorry. 
I, I had an emotional to. reaction because I am almost always saying something like that aggressive to somebody because I'm in a fight with them. You mm, know, yeah. if I'm in therapy or I'm someone's friend where we tend to be a little softer, but it's like when I'm in a fight where I'm like, you're being insecure, yeah, you know, or you're being, you're being reactive or something. These are never going to come out well. <laughs> but I do think that's often how we're confronted with these issues when they especially affect our lives. You know, someone is pointing it out to you often in a really suboptimal <laughs> situation and way. And yeah, I think you're 100% right. We go home, it's 1130 at night, and I'm replaying that stupid fight in my head. And I'm like, why? Why did I feel I that think, way? I think too, it comes up. I've had this situation and I've been a witness to this situation in different ways where having to do with children, like somebody will say, oh, well, in our house, in our house, we don't do it that way. And it's like, well, in my house, we do, right? And so there's something tied to that kind of uh, comparison that mm -hmm. is the intention may be well-meaning, but oftentimes there is an underlying tone to that. Like, well, I don't really approve of what's happening there. Mm -hmm. So let's, let's refocus. <laughs> and, you know, that's a struggle too, because in, in the situations where I have been a witness to it, one of my aunts was... She was very good at just managing situations. And she was so kind to this person and said, I, you know, I appreciate you sharing that with me. But, you know, what's worked with my kids may be a little different than what works with yours. And I was like, go ahead, Thea. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, you know, I don't know how she felt afterwards, but in, in that little moment, I was just like, okay. That is why it's so helpful to have models yes. of people who can confront like, <laughs> yeah. with compassion. That helps you to learn how to do that as well. I'm trying to get better. Let me ask you a question. One of the things like, okay, so through my life, I have beliefs about the world or others that are a result of my trauma too, right? Totally. So, I mean, we've talked about some like, oh, are men safe, blah, 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 but I mean, in, in some parts of my life, it's also been about God and the universe. Mm -hmm. But there's one lately that I just struggle with and I cannot, I cannot get out of this trap. And it's tied to depression, but the thought is nothing matters. And then where this one also goes is like, it's all going to end anyways, which I used to think around like suicide in my life. Mm. And then that changed to now it's like, nothing matters. The earth is going to die. Mm -hmm. And we only have 15 more years of livable earth. So screw it. So is that nothing tied? If, if folks have been listening for some time or even if they're new, the fact that you live with depression is one thing that is the underlying current to all of your experiences, right? And because I know you, it's a coping mechanism for you to talk in this way and encapsulate your experience into this broad thing that at the end of the day, the day-to-day -day things that I do make no difference. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Damn, dude, I did not make that connection. Yeah. Okay. So the reason why I have that overcoming belief is not some direct connection about the way my trauma affects the world, but because it's a coping skill, I had to make nothing matter because in my brain, because of my trauma, everything mattered. Right. So this was like a coping skill gone wrong 
But it also runs up against my depression. 100%. Yeah. It's like walking hand in hand like little buddies. God, my brain is exploding right now. What am I supposed to do with that? I think you ha- I, I think you've you've done it. You've accepted it as part of your experience. And there's moments when you allow yourself to live in that space and that you just and and then you now have the capacity to be like, "Okay, that's enough. Let me continue forward." <sighs> So it's kind of like you're dipping your toe again in it and you're like, cool. I remember how it is. I'm going to whack away now. Yeah, you're right. It's because I'll experience. say some stupid crap and my husband will be like, what do you want to do? You just want to lay down? <laughs> do then? That's not literally what he says, but that's what my brain hears that he's right. putting out, you know? Because it's also true. It's like, no, dude, just because you think those things and you feel very real doesn't mean you're just going to choose to stop working. Right. Tomorrow, right. or like living like life. When you're first encountering that, it's hard to be able to distinguish between the two and know because you you now you have the coping skills to be yeah. able to allow yourself to really step into it a little bit, but not get bombarded by it so that you then sit and stay all the time. Yeah, yeah. Basically, like stand in front of the trash can for five minutes, looking at a piece of plastic and deciding whether or not I'm gonna recycle it. <laughs> I mean, if I thought about things the way that you do in this like broad, the earth is dying, I am I am too much of an empath that, dude, that would soul-crushing sadness that it is soul-crushing sadness. It totally is, but I can't I can't <laughs> live in that. This is that's another part that kills me because once the belief has set in mm. and it's not easy to just get rid of it because yeah, some totally. of it's rooted in some truth, you can't unknow it. And I yes. do envy people who can just say, I'm going to set that aside and I'm going to just move forward in life. Like that's not real. <laughs> this is where people have researchers have said that people with depression are realists. But to live and function in this society, you have to be a fake optimist. Dude, if you want to put that category on, on my head, that I, I'll totally accept it. Because something in me, my, my thoughts of altruism and goodness for the world, they, they keep me tied to like this idea, yeah, you can struggle, you can go through really awful things, but good things will also happen. In the midst of yeah. all that chaos of sadness and debilitating crisis, there are also good things that happen. This is for when we talk about values, but I think that is also why I struggle with hope mm. as a value, yeah. which is so screwed up because in mental health work and in advocacy work and mental health advocacy, we talk so much about you have to have hope. You have to have hope that things are going to get better. And my brain is constantly like, there is no hope. <laughs> <laughs> there is no future. <laughs> so why? Yeah. I used to always think about those beliefs as being tied to my depression, which I do think there's a heavy dose of that. Like, this is just the way my brain thinks. And But now you're like, oh, no, it's also part of your coping skill. But see, an, an interesting part of what you're saying, and, and for me, what really sticks out is you reference some of the stuff that your husband will say, right? 
And that interaction that you have with someone that you know is safe, that you can really trust what they're saying to you, um, yeah. take them for their word, right? Yeah. Helps has has helped, I think, you. And it also helps me because my fiance's mindset is different than mine. It is not the same. So where I have certain beliefs and they jut up against his and he's like, no, that's not the case. And I'm like, well, why not? Yeah. I can defend this position. But then when I'm able to, I can I can break down that wall and say, actually, maybe he has a point. Yeah. No, 100%. This is why being social and being with others is saving. I'm positive my, my husband has saved me and continues to save me. He's absolutely the reason why I feel. If I cannot myself have hope or believe that there's a reason to show up to work every day and continue to save money, <laughs> that he gives me that reason. Even if only to say, well, I do it for him. You know, Sometimes mm -hmm. that's all I can do is say, well, I do this because it's important to him and I love him, even though I don't fundamentally believe that this is true or worthwhile. And then when I'm in a very difficult time, I especially have a hard time fighting my own beliefs. Mm -hmm. And then I will start to get more reactive or emotional with him about things that he like normally he carries that, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's that ability to be able to rely, to rely on someone. Yeah. That type of experience is something that when I was working with adolescents, it was really hard, really, really hard for them to see beyond whatever they were experiencing in that moment. So where they had like crappy relationships with their parents, you know, in some cases they were removed from their homes and things and working with them. Part of the process was to really help them feel empowered and feel that they had value. And the hardest part for them was to be able to say, I deserve good things to happen, right? Mm -hmm. Because you get so caught in the in the wave of continuously feeling trauma, then when you and come in as a lifesaver, right, that you pop yeah. something in front of them, it's like grab this. That for me feeds the belief that good things can also happen. Yeah, what you're saying is what I'm hearing from that that's really true and important is that when we wrestle with beliefs, the past and the present are so powerful, it's hard to envision the future. Mm -hmm. given where you are yeah and like is that about them being teenagers or having a lot more future to look at but a lot of it is unknown right yeah and especially i think in teenagers you're you're kind of wrestling with this space where you don't have a lot of control over your life mm -hmm. as a child you have no control no autonomy and that's debilitating Completely. So you, it's even harder to think about your future because most of your past and your present is controlled by someone else. So mm -hmm. how can you envision a future where you have the d ability to manage your own destiny? God, I sound so weird. Your, but your it's, future. it's yeah. true though, because yeah. Yeah. I had, I had one young woman that I worked with that for, she was, she was within like the child, child welfare system for a long time. And working together, one of the things that like our end goal was, I'm going to make it to 18 and get out of the system, right? And, and why? For her, that was the point that she could make any decision that she wanted, good or bad. Yeah. But it was her decision to make. And that ability to 
to own, own the decisions, own your experiences, then helps you create a different belief pattern that ultimately, if it's, you know, if it's working for you, you adopt and take on, but it's really difficult. I mean, we're what, 40 something and we're struggling with stuff that we dealt with when we were kids. Well, it never ends. No, not at all. I think it doesn't ever end, but the the nuance of the belief, like nothing ever ends, the difference between nothing changes and it's always bad. And no, it doesn't end and it will always change, but it doesn't mean that that change is bad. The change is good. Completely. The change can make me better and I can get better. Mm-hmm. I do have control and power over my situation. I, I would say this one final thing around beliefs. The beliefs you hold as you're growing up, they have the ability to change with every single thing that you encounter. And you may not be always open to new things, but don't downplay the opportunities that may exist for you to believe new things and adopt new ways of thinking because it could change. It could change all the time. I like that. I'll lean into that final thought because I do think the ability to evaluate and change your thoughts and change your belief is absolutely critical to getting better. Mm -hmm. I will, I could not be well if I was just rigid all the time about my beliefs and my thoughts. It just doesn't work because my thoughts and my beliefs were so unhelpful and unhealthy and negative and rooted in truth of that time. But that doesn't mean that I was still stuck in that situation. Certainly where I am today is not where I was back then, right? But it took me a lot longer to realize I could change my beliefs or even recognize the ways that my beliefs were stuck. Now, as I'm older, understanding how important it is to constantly reflect and amend truth statements (laughs) Mm -hmm. to be flexible is a part of being happy. And that's where I need to go. Sunshines and rainbows, baby. (laughs) All right, folks, we're going to talk to you next week. Uh, Hope you have a good one. Keep fighting in the open. 